and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and today's subject deals with Indian firms who have learned to take some advantage of the recovery in the American economy. And to quote from the story, the Indian direct investments in the US has gone up from 2.55 billion in 2009 to 4.88 billion in 2011. That's almost double. And joining me on the call early in the morning to talk about this are Shishit Prasad, the executive editor, and Kuku Paul, the senior associate editor. Good morning, both of you. Good morning, Abhishek. Hello, Abhishek. Happy to be back on your show. Thank you. Both are very familiar voices. Uh, all our listeners know you. So let's get cracking. The first question, Shishi, to you is, what are some of the significant changes in the American economy in the last five years that look attractive from an Indian prism? And here we will keep IT aside for a bit knowing fully well that you are quite an authoritative voice on IT and telecoms from Forbes India and which you do not talk about in this cover story. Two questions. Why is that? And what are the big changes that look good from Indian perspective? One of the key drivers for the story really was that when you look at the global economy, you always measure things in relative terms. So while you have India, which has had its own issues of lack of investment uh, demand, as it were, because of various reasons, and we all know that, and you've got Europe, which is slowing down, but very surprisingly, when I think many, I mean, we were not the only ones, I think the editor himself, Cuckoo, and all of us, when we were speaking to people, what they said was that, look, there is this extraordinary sort of resurgence in the U.S. economy. And obviously, the main driver was the discovery of shale gas there, which was lowering energy prices. But when we started just looking at that, we found a few other indicators to be looking extremely positive. One was that their housing price index had recovered. Nobody's saying that the housing market is back. And now in the world full of regulatory uncertainty, U.S. looks pretty stable. I mean, they don't have these knee-jerk government reactions, essentially. And you have energy costs which have plummeted, and Cuckoo will talk about it at length. One of the key things which I will dwell upon later in the podcast is that many companies that we spoke to said that the real wages for the kind of talent that you can hire have actually not gone up drastically in the U.S. So if you really look at it, what do companies look for? They look for regulatory certainty. They look for cheap finance. They look for wage rates to be stable in some ways. And they look for, you know, input costs. And one of the key input costs in modern economy is energy. As to why IT is not included, see, telecom is obviously will not be included because it's a very, very domestic business. There's no way, you know, you can have any play in from the U.S. apart from buying technology there. But so leave telecom aside. IT, we didn't go for it because IT traditionally has been based on an arbitrage model, which is that you take work from the U.S. and you put it in India. So the value add in some ways, well, quote-unquote value add, happens because the operations or that part of the workflow actually comes to the U.S. But in this case, we're talking the reverse. Normally, you would make stuff at the cheaper location. But here, because of the lower cost of manpower in some terms and even energy, you are locating some part of your work back to the U.S. It's not big shift. We are not saying that all of a sudden all Indian companies will head to the U.S. and put everything there. No, no that's not going to happen. That's, in fact, that should not happen and it cannot happen. But strategic, very, very key elements could be placed there because of the change in circumstances. Right. And briefly, given this background, uh, Kuku, if you can take a shot at it, what is the cover story about and what did you start out with? What was the brief, considering that it covers various domains like energy, manufacturing, Indian ambitions abroad, the kind of investment that is happening from India in the U.S.? So what was the brief and what's the cover about? Abhishek, see the big names going into the U.S. For the past four or five years, we've heard of a lot of big deals. I mean, people like 
Reliance and um, Aditya Birla Group and SR Oils. They've made multi-billion dollar investment. So those are known, but a lot of middle-sized companies and mid-cap companies looking at this opportunity. So it was more positioned as why the U.S. should be part of your portfolio and why if you aren't already thinking about it, why you should really look at it seriously. Traditionally, Indian companies over the past decade or so have been looking abroad for opportunities and we've known, but most of the focus has been in Europe in the past. So how this is shifting and because Europe, the slowdown is like we're right in the middle of it. And um, about four or five years ago, India was the big flavor of the season. And most companies would say that the opportunities here are so large. So why should we look elsewhere? But since that story has unraveled, so this story, the focus was about why the U.S. should be part of your portfolio. And which are some of the sectors where Indian mid-sized companies, like you said, they feel that there is it's worth their money to invest there? Transmission tower makers, auto component makers, and some are really small companies here, and uh, even a textile manufacturers, people like that already have begun going there because there is a revival in the infrastructure investment in the U.S. People like valve makers, for instance, and we've talked about one particular company that does that, making valves for oil uh, industry. Auto component makers, players like Varrock and Aurangabad company that's gone and made an acquisition in the US and which has increased its size substantially and supplying to the auto companies, the big three there. You know how things change, this fact demonstrated that when you, you were looking at in 2010, the US auto demand had fallen from 16 million units in I think 2008 to a low of 10 million units and people thought, oh my god, the auto industry, I mean all the three guys were in trouble. The government was bailing them out and, you know, auto components company obviously then in India got impacted by that shrinking demand there. And it is like what Buku said, certain companies like Varrock, they went there and they kept working on it. And what has happened in the interim is that over a period of two years, that is from 2010 to 2012, the demand has started climbing back up again. And all of a sudden, because they have been there, they have built up those relationships with the big three in, in the U.S., they find that a large percentage of their now sales is coming from this area, this region. So clearly, Autocomp, transmission cars, light and heavy man- engineering guys, all of them, apart from the energy guys themselves. Right. So you spoke about towers and cuckoo textiles infrastructure. So is manufacturing making sort of a comeback in in the U.S.? Because historically it was believed that, correct me if I'm wrong, that if a country progresses, then its share of manufacturing in its GDP slips and that of services increases. And you're quite optimistic and saying that manufacturing is the key to America's growth in the short term at least. Is that the starting point of the recovery for the U.S.? And incidentally, it's also helping India, Indian companies. Largely as manufacturing is based around energy costs. We spoke to Dow Chemicals in India and they mentioned how in the 1960s a whole lot of petrochemicals, the Gulf of Mexico, apart from being an oil exporting place, was also a hub for petrochemicals and petrochemicals is a very, very job intensive industry. So it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs in that the downstream petrochemical spread and they were making petrochemicals there and exporting to the whole world. And as we know, the manufacturing activity has moved since to places in Central America and South America and then on to Asia and China, of course, more recently. And as that has happened, the U.S. moved into more and more of a service economy. But now with this paradigm shift, we're talking about energy availability that is significantly lower energy imports in the U.S. going down significantly because of the shale find and shale gas. More and more availability of shale has 
increased i remember 5 years ago the key flavor of the season was peak oil and where everybody was afraid of running mm-hmm. out of oil and you know huge investments in clean technology and dooms they are saying it's all going to be over and you know question of when those things are suddenly we don't hear about and this is technology actually uh, the fracking and how how it's allowed them to extract gas that is spread over wide areas that is the pivot because of which this shift is happening and this actually has wider ramifications we haven't tackled that in the story but geopolitically they say that the whole way in which uh, the middle east kind of uh, focused foreign affairs policy and how how that might change because of this and a lot of people are looking at that that is not something we've tackled in the story but i'm just telling you about how wide ranging this change is abhishek you're right in saying that there was a time when as the us economy grew it became it is largely largely a services economy the structure of the economy you know i think about 67 or 70% would be services however what has happened across the world also that there were like two large sort of places where manufacturing was shifting away from the us one is china and to an extent it was some parts would be india though india wasn't never a very big player in that that side but in certain aspects it was there but what has happened to do both these places is that the wage rates in china have gone up significantly now in the us over the past 3 4 years 5 years because of trade crisis and all that the us wage rates have not moved up that much while they have moved up across the world especially in india and china and in a story we very clearly there is one guy who has said that you know when 3 years ago when he used to talk to his us counterparts the difference in what he was making and the landed cost there or if he was to make the same part in the us was about 40% that means that has now come down to 10 to 15% and if that happens then he says that when he goes and talks to his us guys then if the part is even slightly critical to his operation he say you know why do i need to bother 10 15% that's too low a cost differential that's also the thing that is driving it we are not saying that us will be a giant taking manufacturing away from all places but certain kind of manufacturing will right. move back yes right and if we put this rational to the energy sector which is a substantial part of your report now here kuku you mentioned how prematurely people wrote off that we had reached the peak of oil etc and then you mentioned something about shale gas and fracking in the report can you briefly explain what that is and how the indian companies can get some share of it because when you type in fracking in word document it it gives you a red line beneath it so to make it you know <laughs> easier you must be using an outdated version of word abhishek <laughs> i hope so i hope so maybe at one time it used to sound like a rude word but no it's the connotation has changed and it's happy news uh, most of the time so it's uh, it's a technology that has allowed uh, gas to be extracted from a certain kind of uh, sediment called shale and they are now hoping that this mantra will work uh, all over the world china's uh, the latest one who's begun trying to extract gas taking on from your earlier point one of the other disadvantages that india and china have is that we are huge energy importers and we have to depend on imported energy and therefore pay 100 dollars 120 dollars for crude oil and for gas for instance we are paying around 17 dollars a unit when we import lng here and the shale costs in the us are around 3 dollars so the differential there is tremendous so the big thing now is for the us companies the prices are falling and shale gas is not very good news for the gas producers because they are unable to make too much of it so they are uh, lobbying to export that shale gas to countries like india and china japan who are large energy importers and uh, that's where companies like reliance 
Gale and Indian Oil have uh, got into the place. So they have taken up stakes in uh, shale companies in the U.S. and Reliance did that pretty early around 2010. Gas Authority is very aggressively getting into it, just signed up for importing shale with two large gas producers in the U.S. So they're hoping that we can uh, get this gas out of the U.S. as LNG. Uh, and ship it across to India because, as you know, we have a huge problem here on gas. We have a huge shortage. And within the U.S., one interesting aspect of it was that because of all this gas boom, a lot of people have dropped using coal and oil and other options and very quickly tried to convert to gas. So the coal prices have dropped and people like SR that use coal, they say that their manufacturing cost there of steel have dropped around 10% because coal has become cheaper because people are dumping coal and using gas. So there are many uh, sort of consequences of this whole shift. Another interesting point on what kind of action there is in the US. For most Indian companies, they are buying out distressed assets. They are buying out companies that were not working and using their uh, uh, ability and talent and this lower energy price to turn it around. So not a lot of greenfield activity happening, uh, Abhishek, in the U.S. And we brought this out and this is the theme we've heard because still a lot of clearances and uh, environmental uh, laws there make it difficult for companies to start afresh on a new project because it takes a lot of time and money to get those clearances and to make sure that all that is taken care of. So what people are doing by and large is buying out existing projects that are not doing well, so which have all the land, clearances, everything, employees, and employees that are willing to negotiate usually lower lower wages, better terms, and get started. So that's how uh, Birla's and uh, SR, that has been their uh, strategy here. So would it mean that people with huge pockets will be the first movers? Because a little while ago, when we talk about LNG, which is to be imported from the U.S., it's in liquefied form. Right. even shipping that is tremendous investments. There are two ways to do it. Either you put pipelines, which cost millions of dollars, and the other thing is, you know, you ship it in liquid form. Now, to do all of this, small and medium-sized companies might not appear to have a chance to, to begin with. The opportunity is across the chain. So for the smaller companies, it could be a different kind of opportunity. Go and manufacture, say, transmission towers there or auto components. That's a different opportunity. In the energy chain, you would have to be people with deep pockets. Now, Gas Authority, for instance, and Reliance. Reliance very famously has more cash than it knows what to do with it. So they've been looking for the past several years for ways to invest that kind of cash. Uh, The U.S. seems so much more attractive because of all these reasons compared to other geographies and compared to Europe, as I said earlier. Right. And Shishi, to ask you this one, so where's the catch? Is this the whole story? You do mention a few concerns, if you could summarize them. One concern clearly is that on the people, on the big pocket guys, the guys who have invested in the energy side. Now, in the U.S., obviously, there is a big debate that, you know, after a long time, they have turned into energy self-reliant nation. And they have gas that they are getting at a very cheap price. And the entire debate is, should we allow this thing to be exported? Because to countries, for instance, countries like India, let's say if a company is invested, let's say like Reliance, and they want to export, should the raw material, which is the natural gas itself, be allowed to liquefy and then be sort of transported all the way across? Because then the U.S., I think there's a lobby which fears that maybe the prices will go back up again. So what's the point of finding all this stuff? And then there are the other guys who say that, no, let's it find the best price, the market economy sort of argument. So that is one concern. That is one. The other is, of course, that, you know, none of these things are sort of set in stone. The global economy now is a fairly dynamic thing. And I like 
what one guy especially the uniparts guy who spoke and he said look the way to think about the world is not what is low cost and what is high cost economy we you got to think about now uh, the whole thing in terms of best cost what is the best cost at a particular point of time and so you pick the country according to that so why us may be a great decision right now let's say for some of these guys let's say a company like bells fund which is put textile stuff there but if tomorrow they find that the economy is recovered and the wage rates start to climb up again they are exporting their energy and so energy costs rise again it's not set in stone that you have to now since you put stuff there i mean you've got to move the operations then so i think that is a clear concern that it's a great little trend right now so you have to be watchful you've invested you can reap the rewards you can make your returns over a 3 4 5 years period but you should be watchful when the indicators start to turn orange and red you you reevaluate the decision right and and one one final question how long did it take for you to put this together and what sort of work goes behind a story which covers across borders and different sectors to make a sense of it in one thread this was this took long time this is not an easy thesis to build they were just straight conversations so kuku had spoken to a few people i had spoken to a few people but we couldn't get the strands going together you know okay the us is rebounding so what even if you look at the size of investment of course it's gone up but 4 billion dollar is is not a very large number i think for us the more important thing was we felt this is a very important thing in life which is for for companies to realize that you've got to figure out how to play the global game the moment you think there's something exciting coming up you've got to try and take advantage of it the story progressed by fits and starts and i think it took us close to about one and a half or two months to close the story kubu if i'm not mistaken yes yes around that much yes many of our colleagues like shravan and ashish sort of work were part of it too because they were tracking particular segments and one particular difficulty on this story was that a lot of calls were in the middle of the night because oh. there were calls to the us <laughs> and and how do you track these smaller companies and i keep asking that cover after cover because whether it was the philanthropy awards or you know companies like you have virgo engineers madarsan sumi uniparts i mean i think we've always sort of batted for the entrepreneur in some ways so we are always looking for companies which are doing good work but which are sort of away from the public eye in some ways uh, i think that's the way i look at it i don't know how kuku would want to describe that now usually right about the big ones so <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean then sushi did i sense a condescending yeah yeah that was a, that was a big game hunter talking to you that was a big game hunter talking to you <laughs> sushi writes about the smaller stuff i write about the big ones <laughs> No, I don't do that. Right? No, not really. I mean, on a on a more uh, serious note, but really, I mean, there is a premium for stories on smaller guys who are doing smarter things. No doubt about it. And if anybody in the team pitches such a story, they're sure, mostly after the due diligence and think that they they can be sure of getting a good coverage, a good uh, display for the story because it's it's usually interesting to see. And the and the bigger themes are well known, as you said, and better covered. But uh, they have their own place. Right. more power to the smaller entrepreneurs on that note let's let's wrap up thank you very much kuku and shishir it's always a pleasure talking to both of you thank you abhishek thank you abhishek the feeling is absolutely mutual thank you and all you listeners you can get this podcast on forbesindia.com as well as on itunes uh, to have somebody call you from forbes uh, for a subscription just message forbes to 51818 and before we sign off in this issue do not forget to read a special feature on 100 years of indian cinema 